This sermon was recorded at Christ Church Overland Park, a congregation that seeks to be a people fully alive in God's kingdom. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. Immediately Jesus went or made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them, but when he saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they, all they saw him and they were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gesenaret and anchored there. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout that whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was and wherever he went. Into villages, towns, or countrysides, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. The Gospel of the Lord. Well, good morning. It's good to be here with you. It's a fun Sunday. We had a baptism uh, in the first service. We have four next service, but unfortunately we don't have one this service, but... Uh, we're going to reaffirm our baptismal vows after, um, after we get through this message. You know, um, as someone who has spent a considerable time in boats out on the water, this is a story that grabs my attention. Many, time, many times I've been fishing and we needed to cross a large open body of water uh, to get back to camp or to the, the boat ramp and we had a really strong wind that's blowing right in our faces. And the stronger the wind and the larger the body of water, of open water that you need to cross, the larger the waves that you have to face. And sometimes the wind uh, and the waves are added to with rain. And so you've got rain pelting you in the face. You've got water coming up over the boat. It's... Um, in a fishing boat trying to traverse five plus foot waves it can be a bit scary and I have definitely been scared more than once um, but trying to do that in a wooden rowboat that would be terrifying and that's what the disciples were experiencing that morning it says it was the um, the fourth watch the fourth hour so that's somewhere between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. in the morning. And they're encountering these waves. And so let's look at this story under these three headings. Jesus sees us in our struggles. Jesus comes to us in our struggles. And Jesus has the power to help. So he sees us, he comes to us, and he has the power to help. So Jesus sees us in our struggles. You know, this, this happens right after the feeding of the 5,000. 
And that is an important detail to hold on to. We're going to come back to it. So Jesus has just fed thousands of people. It says there were 5,000 men. So we don't know what the total number was. You add women and children. It was thousands of people. He fed them from five uh, loaves of bread and two fish. And immediately after that, Jesus sent the disciples in a boat to Bethsaida. It's a small fishing village on the northwest shore of the lake of the Sea of Galilee. But Jesus didn't go with them. Instead, he dismisses the crowd and he goes up on a mountain to pray. And in the Bible, mountains are of great significance. That's where people encounter God. Noah's Ark settled on a mountaintop. Abraham was confronted by God's angel on Mount Moriah. Moses uh, often, you know, went up the mountain to meet with God. Jesus taught on the side of a mountain, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, He was revealed in glory on a mountain. Twice he went up a mountain to pray on this occasion and then also right before he chose uh, the disciples. And his greatest work was on the hill of Golgotha. So here we have the Son of God. He's up high praying to his Father. And no doubt some of his prayers were for his disciples. You know, it's very early in the morning. The sun's not yet up in the sky. And from that high place of prayer, Jesus, alone with his heavenly Father, he's able to look out and see, to see the disciples straining at the oars. And they're really struggling against the wind and waves. You know, if he'd been on shore, he wouldn't have seen them. But because he was up high, he had a better view. From a high place, we can see a lot better. Well, now Jesus is really lifted up. He is the risen, ascended, and exalted Lord. It says he sits at the right hand of the Father. And what is he doing there? You ever thought about that? What's Jesus doing there? It says, Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding. He's praying for us. And from that high place of prayer, Jesus is able to look out and he's able to see. He's able to see our struggles. He sees us as we strain and strive our way through life. Psalm 34 says, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are attentive to their cry. Recently, I read this story in Genesis chapter 16 in the Bible in one year. And um, I love this story. You have Sarah and Abraham and they, you know, Abraham has been called to go to this place. He doesn't even know exactly where he's going, but he's following the Lord and he's promised, Lord promises Abraham and Sarah that they're going to have a son. And they're very old. 
And so they, it doesn't immediately happen. And so Sarah encourages her servant Hagar to sleep with Abraham so that she could have a son through her. And so Abraham did, and Hagar became pregnant, which then obviously caused conflict between the two. You could have figured that one out before uh, you recommended this course of action. Sarah and then Hagar are not getting along, and so Sarah fled out into the desert and afraid and in distress, an angel of the Lord comes to her and tells her, you will have a son and his descendants will be too numerous to count. Hagar thought no one cared. She thought no one could see her, but the Lord did. And it says, she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her, you are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. Sometimes, like all of us, you probably think no one cares. No one sees your pain. But the Lord, who is high and exalted, he is able to see. He sees our struggles through life. He sees our struggles. But not only that, Jesus comes to us in our struggles. He sees them, but he also comes to us in our struggles. Mark tells us, shortly before dawn, he went out to them. He went out to them, walking on the lake. Immediately he spoke to them and said, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them. Jesus didn't just see the disciples, you know, struggling out there against the wind and waves. He actually went to them and got in the boat with them. They didn't think he could see them. They thought they were all alone. But Jesus did see them, and he came to them in the boat. And I love the visual in my mind of Jesus just walking right on top of the water and just walking right up to the boat and just stepping right in, you know. I contrasted the, the actual visions I have in my head of having to pull people up out of the water and trying to pull them into the boat. Not that that's ever happened, but um, it's a different scene. Jesus is the one who sees and comes to us. So as we encounter the struggles and strains of life, you know, the things that we all face, health issues, financial problems, relational conflicts, we could go on. As followers of Jesus, we can be sure that not only does Jesus see, but he comes to us. He's with us in the midst of those trials. Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in times of trouble. And of course, one of the most well-loved passages in the Bible, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, 
I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You know, many people, if they believe in God, they view God as one who just kind of stays above it all. He chooses to be remote, distant, above the fray, if you will. But Jesus, I mean, he blows that image of God just completely out of the water. He shows us something entirely different. Not only does he come to be with us in our difficulties, but he has experienced those same difficulties himself. Not only does he come to us in our suffering, but he himself has suffered. Jesus sees and he comes to us in our struggles. He climbs into the boat with us. So he sees us, he comes to us in our struggles, but finally, he has the power to help. Then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down. The wind died down. He didn't just show up and say, hey guys, keep rowing. I hope we make it. (laughs) No. The wind died down. You know, at the end of chapter four in Mark's gospel, Jesus and the disciples are also again in a boat. And it says that a furious squall came up and waves broke over the boat. And he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. And everything just became completely calm. And it says, and this is exactly how we would respond, they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Who is this? You see, that's, that's actually the controlling question in this passage we're dealing with today. In fact, it is the controlling question of Mark's entire gospel. It is the controlling question of all of the gospels. All of the stuff that is written about Jesus and about all the amazing things he did, it's all serving to answer this question. Who is this? There's some interesting commentary here from Mark. It says they were complete. Now this is back to our story in Mark 6. They were completely amazed for they had not understood about the loaves. You know, wait, what? We're talking about the loaves? They were amazed that Jesus could walk on water. And Mark says, that's because they didn't get it. (laughs) They didn't understand the loaves. What didn't they get? Like, what didn't they understand? They didn't understand the answer to the question. Who is this? Who, Who can feed 
thousands of people from five little loaves of bread and two fish. Who can walk on top of the water? Mark, he's writing his gospel primarily to Gentile readers, primarily to people who spoke Greek. And he wants them to get the right answer to the question. He's leading them to this answer. He's giving them some clues about the answer. And it's interesting, he makes three connections here to Old Testament passages that answer the question for us. Who is this? The first one, in Job chapter nine, which I'm now reading in the Bible in one year, um, it says in Job nine that Job proclaims that God treads or walks on the waves of the sea. God is the one who walks on the waves of the sea. The second clue we see here is, comes from Exodus chapter 33. And God is telling Moses, look, you've gotta go and you're gonna deliver my people from Egypt. Moses is like, "Um, well, when I get there, they're gonna say, they're gonna ask me, who sent you? And so I need to be able to tell them. And so, you know, I I need some help here, Lord. And so the first thing he asked for in this, in uh, 33 is he wants to see God's glory. It's like, if I'm gonna go do this, I need to see you. And God said, well, you can't. You can't look me in the face, but here's what I will let you do. It says, God says to Moses, when my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Twice he uses that phrase, pass you by. Now, Jesus treading on the waves of the sea, and Mark says he was about to pass them by. And then the third Old Testament clue, Mark says they're terrified. They see this figure coming to them on top of the water, and they're they're terrified. They think it's a ghost. But Jesus says, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Well, it is I. In Exodus chapter 3, so this is, this is the first time that Moses encounters God in the burning bush. And Moses says, hey, I need to know your name. What is your name? Who are you? God says, I am. Or in Hebrew, it's Yahweh. I am. That's my name. Now, in Greek, you say, I am. Ego, 
pronoun, I, and ime, verb, to be, I am. Now, Jesus' response here is translated to us as, it is I. But in Greek, which is what Mark wrote his gospel in, it's ego, ime, I am. So, when Exodus, go back to the Exodus passage, when God says, I am, Yahweh, how is that translated into Greek? Ego, ime. And that's exactly what Jesus says in Mark's gospel. So, when the disciples see this figure walking across the lake and they're terrified, they think they've seen a ghost, this figure says to them, take courage, Yahweh. They didn't hear, it is I. Take courage, Yahweh. Ego, ime, I am. So you don't need to be afraid. Jesus had the power to make the wind die down and he has the power to help you and to help me in our struggles because he isn't simply some good man with some good things to say. No. The answer to the question, who is this? Well, it becomes quite clear as we read on and Jesus dies on a cross and is buried in a tomb and then three days later he comes out of the grave victorious over sin and death. Jesus isn't a good man with good things to say. If he is, that man is dead and he can't help us. But that's not who Jesus is. Jesus is God incarnate. He is I am, Yahweh, God in flesh. Jesus is the crucified, risen, and ascended Lord who has sent us the Holy Spirit to be with us always, to be an ever-present help in times of trouble. Believe in that Jesus. Trust that Jesus, and he will be with you. He will be with you, and he will help you through all the ups and downs of this life, and then when this life is over, he will deliver you safely to the other side. He will deliver you safely upon another shore to be with that multitude, which it says in scripture that no one can number, whose hope was in the Lord Jesus, in whom we are forever one. Thanks be to God.